Welcome to the Transit Matters Podcast in partnership with Commonwealth Magazine's Codcast. I'm Jim Aloisi, a Transit Matters board member, and with me as co-host today is Stacey Thompson, Executive Director of the Livable Streets Alliance. Welcome to the Codcast, Stacey. Thanks for having me, Jim. Today our topic is transportation and climate change. We hear a lot of talk about sustainable mobility, which in large part is a shorthand way of saying that transportation needs to serve our mobility needs in ways that improve rather than degrade our overall quality of life. Thanks to a stubborn autocentric mentality, at least thanks in part to a stubborn autocentric mentality, transportation is the leading greenhouse gas polluter in the country. 27% of all greenhouse gas emissions nationally come from the transportation sector, and it's worse here in Massachusetts, where transportation accounts for 39% of overall emissions. How can we act to change this poisonous paradigm? That's the conversation we're going to have today. I'm going to turn to Stacy to introduce our guest, Allie Gold-Roberts, and get the conversation going. Great. Thanks, Jim. Uh, I'm very excited to be joining you today. And uh, for those of the folks in the Boston area who know me as a transportation advocate, they don't know that I spent six years at Ceres, which is an organization that works with the leading companies and investors in the world on a variety of sustainability issues. And I'm very excited to have a former colleague with me here today, Ali Gold-Roberts, who heads up Ceres policy work. They work at the federal level and at the state and regional level. So without much more than that, I want to jump right in. Um, a lot of folks... I think they have a sense of what's going on federally. Uh, Ceres has had their hands dirty in federal work for the last um, eight years or so. And, you know, I'm going to ask you, what the heck is going on with the Paris Agreement? And uh, why are you so invested in the regional work that you've been doing? Yeah, thanks, Stacey. And, and thank you both for having me. Um, as, as Stacey mentioned, Ceres really works with Fortune 500 companies and investors to change the economy. And we see transportation and clean energy as key to our, our growth in a, in a sustainable economy moving forward. When we look at the, the federal landscape, um, as many of you know, there have been attacks to the CAFE standards or the federal fuel economy standards to reduce consumption by increasing the fuel economy requirements for cars and light-duty trucks. This is really one of the three major pillars of what was uh, President Obama's climate action plan and is essential to our ability to meet the Paris Climate Accord goals. Unfortunately, the Trump administration has proposed rolling back uh, the CAFE and emission standards, which is also a challenge for the states because California and 13 other states have adopted um, their own standards, which represent 40% of the U.S. auto market. And, and these programs uh, encourage low-emission vehicles, zero-emission vehicles. So it's, it's a really uncertain time, I would say, in the transportation sector. And in particular, it really impacts our global competitiveness when European and Asian auto markets are actually looking at efficiency in electric vehicles. We're talking about rolling those backs. Is so, California, um, are they in court now with the Justice Department on some of these issues? Yeah, so California and a lot of the states, actually even some of the states who aren't officially part of the zero emission vehicle ZEV program or the Section 177 states, are all kind of pushing back, whether that's through their attorneys general, you know, filing um, cases or comments from from the states. So um, the states really, you know, want to maintain their independence and ability 
to uh, move in this direction, especially because, like here in Massachusetts, we have the Global Warming Solutions Act, a emissions target reduction for the entire state, which we are very much behind on meeting. And transportation is really the major leg of the stool when you look at transportation buildings and the electric power sector. So um, it's an essential part of the mix. Yeah, I want to get a little more granular here because I think what has been um, interesting and inspiring nationally is that so many governors and mayors have have stepped up and said, okay, the feds aren't leading, so we are leading. And there's been a lot of attention paid to what's happening in the energy sector. Um, But, uh, you know, I I think it would be helpful for our, our listeners to hear a little bit more about what is happening in Massachusetts and what we could be doing regionally. Because when I talk to an everyday sort of transportation wonk, they maybe aren't thinking about some of these big policy efforts, and you're doing it every day. Yeah, well, and I realized I also forgot to answer your question about Paris, and we are still in, which, you know, I I think links directly back. Essentially, when when, um, the Trump administration said they were going to withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord, Ceres and our friends at World Wildlife Fund and Climate Nexus got together and said, let's organize some businesses to push back. And it ended up being actually a movement of businesses, investors, colleges, universities, religious institutions who all have said we are still in. And it's now thousands of folks across the country. And beyond just saying, okay, we're committed to the Paris Accord, now it's really, okay, what are we going to do about it? And what are the commitments? And that's when it really comes down to the individual business level of how are they investing in clean transportation infrastructure for their employees or for their customers. But also, how are states going to meet those goals? And I think it takes a variety of different forms, whether that's individual state policy or regional collaboration, which I know we'll we'll talk a little bit about. Because I think here in New England in particular, we have had such success in working together regionally on the electric power sector and decarbonizing through the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative Program. And there's an opportunity to apply some of those lessons learned and, of course, get to the economies of scale. Companies love, um, you know, the the market-based solutions, but also have operations in a lot of states. They don't want a patchwork of state, you know, random state policies. And that's why the um, the fuel economy standards also are great that 13 states are all together in that. We can see that also happen um, on other transportation issues. Fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about how how Massachusetts can be a leader in in, in this era of looking to do self-help because we can't look to the federal government as we used to be able to look to them uh, to, th- to frankly think in a forward-looking way about these issues. And so there's been a lot of talk about um, something called Reggie for Massachusetts, which is a, a way of, of what? To explain what that means and how that would affect uh, our ability to raise some revenue while also dealing with the carbon impacts of, of, uh, of the transportation sector. Yeah, so a number of states across New England and actually the Mid-Atlantic have been working together for years through uh, the Georgetown Climate Center, uh, through a a program called the Transportation Climate Initiative, where they've really centrally been brainstorming what are some policy mechanisms that we can use to decrease transportation emissions, but also ideally generate some revenue for some things we all need, like roads and bridges and and transit, transit, which is probably, especially here in Massachusetts, the biggest thing we need. But for other states, they may be looking at it for other ways. And and I think what's exciting is that actually there's a potential to create a program that allows states to choose how they, you know, take some revenue and invest it in the things that matter to them. So uh, whether that's, you know, if Rhode Island wants to have a train to Boston, we're happy to help, you know, use the infrastructure for that, whereas Massachusetts may want to put a lot of money into the T, whatever it is. So a number of those states have been working together for a long time and doing a lot of studies about the economic benefits and have really demonstrated this could work. 
but in particular uh, in alignment with the Paris uh, Climate Accord discussions in Bonn, Germany in November, seven states plus D.C. got together and said, let's hold some regional listening sessions. We need to talk to the people. We need to find out what people want, um, which is an incredibly exciting process that has been underway for the past few months and will continue over this summer into the fall. Um, and, and the states are really listening to what people want. And one of the things that has kind of come out loud and clear is some kind of regional cap and invest model could allow uh, the region to really look at how to generate some revenue and reinvest that. But also, we're a region that imports pretty much all of our fuel. So, you know, we're not uh, investing in our own economies. We're, you know, sending all of this money out the door. So it would also help encourage some local investment in EV infrastructure and public transit in a way that would really help meet our economic needs. I want to stop there and actually uh, turn the tables back on our fabulous moderator, moderator Jim, yeah. and um, and help connect the dots a little bit, because I think that you're using a lot of language that seems distant. Um, but, you know, if we were to engage in a policy mechanism that looked like what Ali's describing, could you describe one or two examples of what that might practically look like for someone who is on the commuter rail or someone who takes the blue line every day? How might we reinvest resources in our community? And you know, Well, I think the one thing I think of immediately is it could help us have the kind of, of funding security that we need to build more resilience, for example. Anybody listening to the podcast who uses the blue line, in particular Aquarium Station, knows that it's not resilient. It's not a theoretical thing that people are worried about is going to happen 20 years from now. It is happening today in real time. We had one winter storm this past year that knocked out the elevators and escalators at Aquarium Station. It took six months to put them back into service. And there's been nothing done to fix the real cause of that, which is the station was not built to deal with these annual floods, right? And so it will likely happen again, and then we'll have another six-month repair and replacement process. We need a resiliency fund to deal not just with the blue line, but with a variety of transit-related resiliency issues. We also need a fund to think about, if you think about, you know, cap-and-trade and, and, and using carbon as a way to raise revenue, and you think about the, one of the core issues of emissions these days, which is the chronic tr congestion in our highways, cars idling in traffic for, for minutes and hours. And the best alternative to that, an approach to getting people out of that single occupancy vehicle, is a different way to think about inner city rail and regional rail so that we can move people out of their cars onto an inner city rail system that behaves much differently and better for them and for their needs than the current commuter rail system. And so... I see that I'm a big fan of saying, let's look at the issues that are in front of us, congestion and emissions. Let's extract revenue, new revenue from that and apply that to solve the problem. And is that really, yeah. in plain English, what we're talking about when we're talking about finding new alternative ways to fairly raise revenue and, and, to, and then to put that revenue back into the system so that we're avoiding increasing the problem we have today. 
Absolutely. As a Metro West commuter rail rider, I couldn't <laughs> agree more and would love uh, to see more reliability in, mm-hmm. in our commutes. But I also think it ties directly back to the needs of the business community and a lot of the work that we're doing. You know, we have been working at series to uh, mobilize companies to be engaged in the Transportation Climate Initiative process. From Jones Lang LaSalle, the real estate company, to Unilever, who probably makes um, almost every product you have in your home, from Dove Body Wash to, um, you know, other food products. to oh, I Schne- like Dove Body Wash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to Schneider Electric, to King Arthur Flower. I mean, like, the number of companies who are really thinking about an opportunity to make the uh, – commute of their employees better, to help the shipping and infrastructure of their products. I mean, the the um, opportunities are boundless when we really start to think about this. And I think that's also why we've been excited to see colleges and universities engage in this project as well, um, from Emerson and UMass Lowell to Framingham State and Goucher. So, you know, I think regionally there's an opportunity to say we have such incredible talent and uh, potential as an economic engine, and our transportation system, you know, continues to lag behind. I'm always amazed by how many companies will cite the U.S. News and World Report rankings about our region when they're in meetings with lawmakers and say, what are you doing about this? This impacts my business. Mm -hmm. So I I think uh, it directly, you know, connects to our day-to-day lives. And also, as as Stacey, you mentioned at the top of the um, podcast, is that you know, there's a lot of interest in climate change, and that often gets separated from the transportation conversation. And the reality is, is that we've done so well on the electric power sector, and we still have a lot more work to do. But transportation really needs to be where we we need to focus our efforts, and we need to get advocates and businesses and folks engaged. And I think transportation in particular allows us to bring more people into the conversation who may not be coming at it from a climate angle at all, who are thinking about air quality and public health in their community or congestion or the amount of time they're spending on the road, and climate might be the secondary benefit to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I do just want to uh, lean in a little bit more on, on the business case for um, the the state and certainly the region taking um, climate change and transportation seriously and, and really focusing on what the Transportation Climate Initiative could do for the region from an economic perspective. And I guess that's the hard question of, you know, what happens to our economic viability as a region if we choose not to move forward with this uh, kind of policy solution? What types of choices does a, do a new balance make or an auto desk that's out on the dry docks at the very edge of the seaport and very aware of, of the, the flooding implications that we are facing? You know, what happens if we don't move forward with this bipartisan policy solution? Absolutely. And I appreciate you um, indicating that it's really a bipartisan po- policy solution. I mean, that's what's really exciting about the seven states plus D.C. is that this really is not about politics at all. It's truly about economic competitiveness. And I think for the companies who uh, are in this region and across the U.S., I think there's an acknowledgement that there's much more emphasis and advancement happening outside the U.S., as, as we talked about in Europe and Asia, but also um, – companies are thinking about the climate impacts to their supply chain. So our friends at Mars and and Unilever and Nestle and Kellogg's are looking at the impacts of, um, you know, weather on cocoa and rice. For technology companies, they're going to be looking at outages to data centers. And so, you know, transportation, I think, is an important part of the puzzle um, in ensuring that goods and services can move around, but also that employees can get to work. And one of the things that I think is exciting is that 
the business community doesn't necessarily say government needs to do this all themselves, but actually are stepping up themselves as well. So uh, 18 companies have joined the EV100 program, which essentially lays out six goals for um, companies around uh, offering um, charging for their employees or charging for their customers or moving a certain percentage of their fleet, or light duty fleet or heavy duty fleet to electric vehicles. I mean, the, the pre-orders for the Tesla electric semis are flying off the shelves by Pepsi, Anheuser-Busch, FedEx, Walmart, Cisco, UPS. So, you know, I think given that the business community is already starting to invest in this way, they're going to want the infrastructure to help meet those needs long term. Um, and the other piece is I think companies can play an important role in, in, the tra in charging infrastructure, in transit. I mean, we know how many employees offer benefits for the T. Uh, my employer is one of those, or for bikes uh, and, and walkable. Yeah, actually, our, our office also will reimburse you if you walk to work, which is pretty amazing. Um, and many corporate, you know, um, company, you know, many companies are also moving in this direction. So I, I think they're part of the solution and part of the dialogue as well. Do you find that you have engagement from business groups like chambers of commerce, um, like um, locally, do we get the Greater Boston Chamber or the Alliance for Business Leadership involved in these programs? Absolutely. You know, the Alliance for Business Leadership and a better city and a lot of folks are engaged in the conversation, but also our own Associated Industries of Massachusetts was supportive of the gas tax and I think is looking at transportation as well. So I think the business community uh, is is having these conversations at the trade association level, at the individual level, with environmental groups, with you know community groups. I, I think um, there are a lot of folks at the table. Yeah, and to add on that and and try to make this a little more actionable. Um, you know, we hear from people every day who are getting on their bike, who are getting on the T, who are getting on the commuter rail, and maybe using those benefits to get to their job at Amazon, their job at Google, their job at New Balance. And they want to know how they can make a difference because their commute is so miserable. And, you know, what role do the employees uh, who, who are, you know, in Kendall Square, who are on the seaport, um, how do they get involved either as citizens of the state of Massachusetts or as, you know, employees of these companies that are showing leadership? Well, I feel like I should shoot that back to you and say, shouldn't they all be members of Livable Streets? <laughs> they Stacey? should, and of Transit and Matters. Right? You know, they should <laughs> exactly. be biking and riding to work. But it, besides that, um, you know, I think certainly a lot of this is individual action and thinking about your own commute. And the reality is, is if we can get more people off the roads, that will help encourage more infrastructure investment in transit. And as someone who is often on a standing room only line on the Framingham Worcester line, you know, I think it's been made very clear that that is a line that a lot of commuters are using and there's demand. And as there's demand, ideally, that creates some response. But also, um, you know, they should encourage their employee, their employers, excuse me, to engage. Um, and as employees, you know, take advantage of any programs that are available. Our friends at Cliff Bar, who are members of the Bicep Coalition, have a cool car incentive program where they offer employees uh, $6,500 as a, a, towards the purchase of an electric vehicle. That, on top of the federal tax credit, and here in Massachusetts, thank goodness, we have a state tax credit. Um, but that state tax credit, we need long-term funding for that. Again, TCI could be a place to help uh, carry that in. So I think uh, employees can encourage their employers to step up, and we've seen that on so many other sustainability issues, but also, you know, looking at their own actions. And the other piece is really thinking about, um, you know, their day-to-day -day traffic. A Target recently just committed to uh, installing EV 
charging stations at all of at a number of their retail stores. So you know, also rewarding the companies who are stepping up, who are doing that work, I think is really important, and that's part of the market share that will encourage more companies to continue to invest in this How way. How transparent is this the transportation climate initiative going to be to the average person? You know, Jack and and Gene Smith, who are commuters every day. How how yeah. will they un, how will they come to be impacted by and and, and understand? the impacts of this initiative? I think some of that's to be determined. Uh, these regional listening sessions are certainly open to the public, but also some of the individual states have done deeper dive listening sessions. So Massachusetts was one of the first states to do those listening sessions, and it's actually doing a second round of listening sessions now. Uh, New York is also doing their own listening sessions where anyone from the public can come. But I think my hope is also that once the states have taken in all this input and feedback and decide to come up with some type of solution that they actually then, you know, do another set of comments, which I imagine they probably will, given the incredible rulemaking process we have here in the U.S. that really allows people to yeah. engage. Yeah, well, and I, I think one thing that um, is powerful about connecting climate change to transportation is that we remove the conversation from it just being a commuter rail issue or just being a T issue to looking at statewide transportation emissions and how we can use a mechanism to reduce the overall emissions. And that might mean that for some folks who need to get in their car and drive every day, they have incentives both from the legislature and from um, their employer. And then for the folks like you who really need to and want to be on the commuter rail, you will get the resources you need to have a great ride into downtown Boston to mobilize even more uh, investors and businesses. We also need to be mindful of equity. You know, yes. one of the things I'm concerned about are the people who won't be able to afford an EV and who will be stuck with an internal combustion engine 10 years from now because that'll be the least attractive and least, therefore, expensive uh, way to get around in a vehicle. And I don't know that we've all figured out yet how that needs to change. In other words, what are the protections that the public sector needs to put into place to make sure that we're not leaving people behind simply on the basis of, of, mobile, of affordability. Um, we can't tell the private sector what to charge for vehicle, but we need to be mindful of who gets left behind as we, I think, inevitably transition to a new world of electric-powered vehicles. It's, it's an issue that I think is of importance to advocates. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And we um, at Ceres have had our companies actually weigh in on some of the VW settlement dollars around the country and have helped encourage states to prioritize low-income communities as some of the places for charging infrastructure if they're going to put that in place. And actually, um, our friends at uh, MJ Bradley and Associates based here in Boston have done some incredible mapping of what charging infrastructure could look like for the region. And I think looking at that plus what the private sector can do can ensure that we prioritize communities um, that, that need it the most, that are most affected by air quality concerns and, mm -hmm. and emissions, but also that uh, California has done this with a lot of great lessons learned about how to mix and match federal dollars plus state dollars to ensure that we're also investing in EV buses and, you know, other infrastructure to ensure that that last mm -hmm. mile that's often part of the missing link. Uh, our friends at Ikea talk about this all the time, wanting to be able to have everybody get to their stores completely through public transit. And, and those buses, I mean, we have to make those buses as exciting as the tea, well, hopefully it's more exciting than the tea, right? And, <laughs> and have, you know, Wi-Fi and like these buses should be the greatest thing. 
and and we should help build out that infrastructure. So I think it's about thinking about a, a broad, holistic approach and how do we lift up all boats in mm-hmm. this process. Yeah, and I know this is um, something that Transit Matters thought about and that we thought about too, and again, bringing it back full circle, is we need to be thinking about improving our bus infrastructure, our commuter rail and T infrastructure, looking at electrification of the grid so that as we move all vehicles, preferably, you know, from our opinion, fleet vehicles like buses um, to being fully electrified, that the grid, which you guys are also working on, becomes electrified. And that all, you know, beginning to end, we have clean energy solutions, more people on transit, and that overall reduces uh, our GHG emissions, which is where we started this conversation. So if there's one takeaway that we want our listeners to come away with, Ali, from your perspective, what's what should people take away from this conversation? And if they want to get more information, where should they go? Yeah, I think one big takeaway is that the business community is deeply committed to cutting transportation emissions and, and taking climate action. That should be abundantly clear. But also that um, I think they have an opportunity through their purchasing power, through um, their you know talking to their employers, but also raising their own voices through organizations like both of yours. Um, that, you know, this is really a process that everyone should be engaging in and ultimately touches all of our lives multiple times a day um, and, you know, it can ideally down the line help us have a better quality of life. Thanks, okay. Allie. Thanks. Thank you for being with us today. And thanks, Stacy, for being my co-host. I, yeah, thanks for having me. This I was fun. It. it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you. Don't worry, Josh. We'll have you back sometime soon. <laughs> I'm Jim Aloisi, hosting today's Transit Matters podcast. Thank you, and I hope to see you again on the radio soon.